0: Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the scripture.
1: You are excited to get into God's word. Come on, we love God's word here at New Heights Church. My name is Justin Hansen, and I am the lead pastor here. And we love God's Word so much, we preach it verse by verse, uh, line by line, precept upon precept. And so before we get into God's Word, before we unpack this passage, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would do what the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can do. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we do love you. We love you so much. And these next 40 minutes, we're going to commit and dedicate this part of the service to your Word. So would the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do? Would you speak directly to our hearts? Take me out of the equation as I commit myself to preaching your word and speak directly to our hearts so that we can see life transformation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, some of you are probably wondering, what's Pastor Justin going to do? Because this is kind of repetitive today. We've already heard Peter's vision in chapter 10. But I want you to know, if God repeats it in his word, then it's worth going over again. Amen? Yeah. So let's do it, okay? We are in Acts, or, or in Acts 10 and 11. Pretty much, they're, they're one unit. Basically, in this one unit, we have a very important point in the book of Acts in which the gospel officially goes uh, for the first time to the Gentiles. And like I have said before and have been saying, that may not seem really important to you, but it was a huge deal back then. Because uh, in the first century, the Christians were all Jews. It was very difficult for them to conceive the idea that God would save Gentiles just as he has saved them as Jews. And even harder for them to realize that the church which, by the way, is the body of Christ, would actually be made up of Jew and Gentile and would be one new humanity or one new family of God. It's what we believe here at New Heights Church, because we believe God's word. We are one one family, one church, one body. I'm going to say it again. We are one church, one family, one body. All right. You got it that time. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Now you've got to understand they didn't have the book of Ephesians, they didn't have Romans, they didn't have Galatians. These books, they hadn't been written yet. They were just being written. They were just coming together. They they did not understand God's plan of salvation for the whole world. Even though God in the Old Testament, he did give hints. In fact, look at this, Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Or how about Hosea chapter two? I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So the understanding of the old covenant to the New Testament, the relationship to the law versus grace, the Jews and the Gentile, Israel and the church had not yet really been fully grasped at this point. And Jesus himself, just so you know, I mean, Jesus taught it all throughout the gospels too. In fact, look at this in chapter John. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and, and my own know me just as the father knows me. I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep That's the Gentiles. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I'm going to say it again. We are one church, one body of Christ. Yeah, come on. I'm going to be real repetitive today. They had to learn that God was saving Gentiles, and and now, now we're one new humanity, one new group with Jesus Christ as our head, and, and we're the living church. Now, there are implications for us today in this passage, and I want to talk about that. So we've already talked about the vision. You've heard the vision. I'm going to take a different angle today because, again, God repeats it again in his word, so it's worth going over again. And, and here is one of the strongest implications from this vision. Are you ready for it? You're taking notes. Write this down. Today, the church is not made up of cultural divisions, racial distinctions, or social distinctions. I'm going to say it again. Today, the church is not made up of cultural divisions, racial distinctions, or social distinctions. We are all one in Christ. Amen? That's why Paul could say this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One church. One church. And we stand equally at the foot of the cross, and we have relationship with him. Paul the apostle taught that the church was the great mystery hidden within the scriptures, that that the God of the Jews would also be the eternal redeemer of all nations, of all nations. You're gonna think I'm real repetitive today, and that's okay. Listen to what Paul says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. What about this? how the mystery was was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles Our fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. One church. Now, as we dig in today's passage, I got real excited last week and kind of skimmed over uh, verse 47 through 48, and real quick, I want to mention something. So I'm going to go back because I I need to address this before we jump and start unpacking chapter 11. But at the very end of Acts chapter 10, it says, Can anyone withhold water, this is Peter, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for for some days. So there are some people, and the reason I want to touch on this, is because there are some people who wrongly teach, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Sometimes it's called baptismal regeneration. When, you, when you're dunked in water, that's how you're born again, or that's how you become saved. I want you to know I disagree. I don't believe the Bible actually teaches that. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So there's nothing we do, no rite or ritual, in order to be saved. In fact, when the thief died on the cross, Jesus said what? He didn't say, Well, that's too bad you haven't been baptized. Or too bad you're on a cross right now because if we could just get you baptized, if I could just get you to a river or some water, I could get you to heaven. There's nothing that we do to save ourselves. Baptism is an outward work of an inward reality, okay? So we should be baptized as evidence that we have been saved. Get baptized. If you have not been water baptized, get baptized. Make that declaration. Because like I said, it's an outward work of an inward reality. And some of you are asking, why in the world is he pointing this out, because this is a classic passage proving that they were born again. They received the Holy Spirit, and then they were baptized in water. It came after or subsequent to their regeneration. They were born again, filled with the Spirit. They spoke in tongues, and Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have, that's past tense, who have, past tense, received the Holy Spirit as we have. I want you to tuck that away somewhere if you ever run into somebody that says, well, you've got to be baptized in order to be saved. There are some that say not only do you have to be baptized, but you have to have the right formula. It has to be in the name of Jesus only, not in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but in Jesus' name only. You have to be baptized, and you have to speak in tongues, or you're not saved. Again, that's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> I just want to point that out to you, okay? <laughs> All right, now. Now that I've covered that accurately, we can get into chapter 11. You ready? Here we go. Peter's hanging out with them for a little bit. After all this amazing things that the Holy Spirit had done, they're having a good old time, and God was working, God was manifesting himself, and Gentiles were coming to Jesus. People were coming to Jesus. That's worth praising God about. That is worth getting excited about. But look with me. Read Read with me here. It says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Man, that is an exciting statement. They had heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Man, word spreads fast, doesn't it? Now stop here for a minute, because wouldn't you think that the response would be, oh man, praise God, hallelujah. Hallelujah people are coming to Jesus. That's what this is all about. We're going to praise the Lord. This is worth celebrating. Well, we should think that way. But unfortunately, many in the early church didn't think that way. That's why it says this. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Criticized him. Criticized Peter. Here he's got this incredible news. People are getting saved. I'm gonna say it again. People are getting saved. People are coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and he's coming back to criticism. Boy, some things just don't change. Let's get real personal here. Some things just don't don't change. I mean, you could go and have the best, did you know, and thankfully not ever at this church, (laughs) You know, I, I have been a part of a church where Sunday has been the most amazing service ever. The Holy Spirit moves. People are coming to the altar. People are accepting Jesus, only for the next day on Monday to receive all kinds of criticism. Some things just don't change. Here you got Gentiles coming to Jesus, accepting Jesus, finding grace, finding mercy, finding salvation. And he's coming home to critics. Oh, it's tough. He's coming home to critics. And and do you know what really upset them? (laughs) Not that the Gentiles were being saved. They could accept that, although many of them thought... thought and it had to grow into their understanding. And they're going to soon start thinking in order for Gentiles to be saved, they got to be circumstanced. They got to keep dietary laws of Moses. They have to worship on certain days. They've got to become Jewish in order to be Christian. And I want you to know this still happens today because even in our church in any church, not just this one, it doesn't matter what church you go to. There's this, there's this culture and DNA. And so many times we'll take the culture and we make that, we make that, uh, we prioritize that over the Bible and the Word of God. And all of a sudden you've built something with a certain culture that doesn't even reflect Jesus sometimes. And maybe it did in the beginning, but then it became so important to them that culture was more important than the Word of God. And all of a sudden culture is more important than people coming to Jesus. So problem back then, I think it's problem now, it's humanity, right? But but what really upset them was that Peter ate with the Gentiles. That's what really upset them. That was bad news that you would actually eat with them because in their mind, when you ate with somebody, it made t- two people one in the Hebrew culture. So sitting at the same table, eating the same food, was to become partakers together. These men are legalists. They're freaking out. They're thinking this is this is bad. This is not good. This is really dangerous. You can't just tell these Gentiles that all they need to do is believe in Jesus Christ and they get to go to heaven that they get to be accepted like us and that they get to be a part of the church. I mean, they are in panic mode. Don't read past this. Don't just breeze right by it. They are in panic mode. They are freaking out. Now, you know, there are a lot of Christians today that freak out. They show up from the church and maybe somebody from a different race is in the church and they're thinking, what are they doing here? Someone from a different social background. What are they doing here? Why are they in our church? Sometimes we get upset with people because they have a different custom. Or they're from a different background and we don't want to accept them. And one of the things that we learn from, from the Bible, from chapter 10 and 11, and really all throughout the Bible, so many different places in the Bible, is that for God so loved the whole world. Hello? For God so loved the whole world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know what whoever means? Whoever means whoever. (laughs) I studied all day to get there. I remember a song I sang. I was taught in Sunday school growing up. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Not just the children, the whole world. Jesus loves the whole world. So don't be freaked out when we become a church of many different cultures, from many different backgrounds, not just, not just ethnically, but uh, socially as well. We are going to be a church that represents this world and God's creativity. We are going to be a church for people from all over the world. And I'm making a bold declaration. That's what we're going to be. And if you don't like that, this probably isn't the church for you. Because we are going to be a church that embraces everybody. Everybody. Now, I want to focus on a few things that we didn't focus on in chapter 10. I I briefly mentioned that the story of Peter and Joppa and the the sheet with the animals, that they were unclean, and, and God telling them to rise and eat... Uh, It's given three times in the Bible. You say, who cares? Well, I do, and I think you should too. I talked about it briefly last week because if God tells us something three times, I think God wants us to know, right? If something's repeated three times in the Bible and all scripture's given by inspiration of God, it was something the Holy Spirit inspired, then I believe that God wants us to get the message behind the vision. That's why we're going over it today. I remember in seventh grade, I'd hear it over and over. Justin, put on deodorant. My dad, Justin, did you put deodorant? Put on deodorant. Okay, man, he really wants me to put on deodorant. I don't smell, just so you know. God wants us to understand and comprehend it. Now, today we're going to see how God leads us. We're going to look at the same vision that Peter had, and we're going to see how God is leading Peter. And we're going to look at it in our own life. Because a lot of people want to know, how do I know the will of God? How do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know if God is leading me in a certain direction or if God is giving me a certain gift, uh, maybe a calling on my life or, or even calling me into a specific ministry in my life? How do I know this? And there's some really great truths that we see in this vision and in this story. So number one is this. If you're taking notes and it's really deep, are you ready? You need to pray. You need to Pray. What are the steps and some of the circumstances and the ways that God leads me? Well, here you go. You need to pray. Look with me. It says, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. How about that? Praying. And in a trance, I I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Here's the first thing that God does for Peter. God, God actually gives Peter a vision. God speaks to him. When does God speak to him though? When he's praying, when he's praying, when he prayed, God spoke, when he prayed, God revealed. So let me give you step one in knowing and finding the will of God. Get on your knees and pray. How's that? (laughs) Get on your knees and pray seek the Lord while he may be found, right? Pray to God, seek the Lord, talk to the Lord. Some of you are thinking, man, we've got people from all different backgrounds and some are brand new in their walk with Jesus. Some have been in the church. And so there could be some people today that are thinking, what is prayer? I hear you talking about prayer all the time. What is prayer? Is prayer what we do right before we eat a meal? Um, Is prayer what we do before a meeting? Let me tell you what prayer is. Number one, prayer is a privilege of the gospel. It's a privilege of the gospel. Prayer's talking to God. We get to do that. We get to do that through the mediation of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer's a privilege, okay? It's a privilege of the gospel. Here, here's Prayer's also uh, taking part in the future now. Now, right now, you gotta take part in the future. In light of the full and free relations, we, we, we're gonna enjoy the presence of our Heavenly Father. So that's what prayer is. What's the purpose of it then? Well, if you're taking notes, write, down, write this down. The purpose of prayer is to join the Father in accomplishing all of his holy will here on earth as it's being done in heaven. So in the mystery, you know, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And in the mystery of his sovereignty, in the mystery of his sovereign will, God invites us. God invites you. God invites me to take part in his work through prayer. That's amazing. In other words, God's ordained that prayer is one of the means by which he accomplishes his will. You know that God is going to accomplish his will here on earth. He's going to do it. And here's what's so amazing about prayer. He says, one of the ways that I'm going to choose to accomplish his will is through you. Is through your prayers. Through the prayers of my people. Through the prayers of the church. I'm going to accomplish my will here on earth. You think about that for that's amazing that you and I get to participate in that, that we get to be a part of accomplishing God's will, but it's gonna be done through prayer. It's gonna be done through prayer. So we need to pray, and we need to pray according to, to the will of God. I mean, we learn that in Matthew chapter six, verse ten. We learn that in James chapter four, two through three. We we learn it all throughout the Bible. And ultimately, it's God's will to sum up or, or unite all things under Jesus Christ. So here, here's the deal. We often look at prayer as maybe like approaching Santa Claus. The Bible says we're going to see God's will accomplish through our prayer, but we've got to pray the will of God. So here's what's amazing. Prayer and. I had a pastor in my life who mentored me and man, I hated it, but he really challenged me. When my father was sick, I was just a young teenager and I was struggling so much with watching my dad battle a brain tumor and my prayers were usually, and there's nothing wrong with these prayers, God heal him, God heals. And God told us we can pray for the sick. So it's not, nothing was wrong with the prayer, but then my prayers really changed. And I remember at one point he said, Justin, I wanna just challenge you to, to look at your prayers and, and just see how much of your, your prayer life is focused on you. How much of your prayer life is focused on God's will. That was really a tough pill to swallow. Because as I looked at my prayer, most of my prayer was really centered around me. My feelings, my emotions, what I want. Um, and, and very little was really, God, what are you trying to do? How can I accomplish your will? So I'm going to challenge you as you pray, try to take yourself out of the equation. Remember that, that prayer is we're accomplishing the gospel, right? We, we get to be a part of this. So, so maybe it's okay to pray for, God, give me, give me joy. Give me peace in this situation. There's nothing wrong. Heal my body. I'm sick. Heal my friend's body. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe pray this too. God, what are you trying to accomplish in all of this? Will you accomplish your will through my life? Even in my circumstance, even my situation, will you accomplish your will? Will you give me revelation as to what you are trying to do so that I could accomplish your will? How about that? Right? Okay. The, the second thing. So you need to pray. Here's the second thing, and it's real deep. Are you ready? You need to obey. You need to obey. Look at, look at with me here at verse 6. It says, Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the the house in which were sent to me from Caesarea. So God leads us as we pray. But let me say something again, too, about the will of God. When you pray for God's will, guess what? God will not show you his will unless you are first ready to obey no matter what. I know it's basic, but it's powerful. God will not show you his will unless you are first ready to obey it no matter what it is. You don't pray and say, God, I wanna know your will, and then once you tell me what, you, what your will is, I'm gonna tell you whether or, or not I'm gonna do it. I just need to know what your will is first. Then you're going to get an answer. Tell me your will. You basically say, Lord, I want you to reveal your will to me. And and when you do that, I will obey. Listen to me. God does his greatest work through simple acts of obedience. Did you just hear me? God does his greatest work through simple acts of obedience. A lot of times God's not revealing his will to us because we're waiting to know what it is and we're, we're trying to figure out if we're going to follow it or not. And that's not how it's supposed to work, get me? You with me? That, that's not how it works. Because Here's a truth you need to take home. God doesn't need our ability. He never has, by the way. Only our availability. God does not need your ability. He just needs you to be available. God did it then through a guy like Peter, and he still does it today. He will build his church and his kingdom through weak people walking in obedience. I don't know about you, but this greatly encourages me. <laughs> you say, Lord, I want to go where you want me to go, and you feel like God is calling you maybe to, to a, India or Bangladesh or someplace in the Middle East, and you're saying, I rebuke you, Satan, that's not my call. No, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. And I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I saw this, this principle. This was really difficult with some parents. I really pushed God's call. Because here's, here's, it's not about like, am I called? You're called. And I would push my students to, to find that call and embrace that call. For some of them, that was gonna mean going into the army. They were going to go and serve in the military, but the call was to go reach military, military soldiers, and some were going to go and become dentists and doctors and lawyers. That's their call. God wants to use it to build his kingdom. Everybody's got the call. And, but I, I do remember this, and I always thought, found this interesting. In youth group, we'd always have those, maybe that would go on a missions trip, and I could always count on this. When we got back from the missions trip, every single time, I would have parents in my office upset with me, because their kids came home, called the missions. <laughs> Look, Pastor Justin, we love sending our kids so they can serve and do their thing, but we are not okay with them being missionaries. Stop putting this in their minds. Stop, I didn't do it. We just sent them on a missions trip. God called them. But, you know, and we dedicate, all of those kids were dedicated in the church. When we get up, Liz and I, when we dedicated our three children, I remember I took it really serious because I'm giving my kids back to the Lord. God, you do what you want with their lives. I'm giving them back to you, right? When we, when we want God's will, you better be ready to obey God's will. Amen? Are you willing right now, and ask yourself in your own heart of hearts, to go be, do, and say whatever it is that God wants you to do? If you don't answer yes to, them, to that, then you're, you're not really going to find the will of God. If you're not willing to say, Lord, I'm yours, I want your will, I'll do whatever it is, then why would you expect God to reveal his will to you if you're, if you're going to give God terms or stipulations? God ain't going to reveal his will to you unless you are ready to follow it and obey it. If it's this or that or the other, then God, I'll do this or I'll do that rather than just saying, here it is. God, I offer my life to you, and I'll do whatever it is you've called me to do, and I'll do it faithfully as unto you. Here's the truth. Some of, some of you, that, it, it's not really even that hard. I have people come to me sometimes and say, Pastor Justin, can you tell me I want to use my life for God? I know God's telling me to get more involved in the church. Where can I serve? We need, we need men in helping with Royal Rangers. Our Royal Rangers program, it's raising up men to be men. It's raising up children to be godly men. And we need more workers. Um, now, nah. you got anything else? <laughs> and, and let me tell you something. Even today, your, your pastor, your pastor, uh, is, I'm just like you. We're, we're really not that different. We're, trust me, I, I am all human. Today, I told Jeff Apke, he's one of our board members. He helps with Royal Rangers. He's, he gives and serves uh, our, our children, our young boys. And I I came up to him today because I've been praying all week for my kids, especially Asher. I want Asher to, to get involved in rangers. I keep pushing him, get involved, get involved. And Liz said, well, if you want him to get involved, why don't you get involved? Why don't you get involved? And I said, Liz, I'm doing so many things. I'm doing young adults. I'm doing, she said, no, it just seems like maybe God's, if you are so eager for your son to get in Royal Rangers and be a part of that, why don't you take that first step and start leading, be a helper? They don't need you to go prepare lessons. You just go into the classroom and be a helper. Be available. Go on the campouts with them. So I came up to Jeff this morning. Did I not? Where, there's Jeff. I came up and said, Jeff, sign me up. I'm a Royal Ranger leader. I'm a Royal Ranger leader. I'm telling you right now, we need ladies to help with impact girls, and we need men to help with Royal Rangers. So if you're sitting there and you're asking, God, where is it you want me to serve? Maybe God's leading you into that direction, Okay. Pray about it. Consider it. And when God tells you, don't say, no, God, that's not what I was thinking. Say, you got it. (laughs) So here's, here's the third thing. You need to trust God's timing. So you need to be willing to pray, willing to obey, and you need to trust God's timing. Listen, God's timing's perfect. Peter's praying, and God reveals and sends three men from Caesarea. It's the other thing about God's circumstances. God works through circumstances and his timing is perfect. God would say this to you, only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to, to pass, for I do whatever I wish. That, that wasn't Justin, by the way, that was God. In fact, in fact, let me show you again, Isaiah forty six ten. That wasn't me, that was God. Only I can tell you the future before ever, or even happens, everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. God knows everything, we don't. We see the world from a very limited perspective, but he sees everything. He knows the future and the past, and everything he plans comes to pass. He knows when you're supposed to land your dream job. He knows when you're meant to marry the perfect guy or the perfect girl. You can trust him because even if he takes a long time, his will, it'll come to pass. If God planned it, it's bound to happen. Do you hear me? If God planned it, it's bound to happen. Now, in our text today, what if these three guys would have come before the vision, knocked on the door at Peter's house at Joppa? What if these three Gentiles from Cornelius' house would have come the next day? Then the vision and its effects would have worn off, but immediately he sees this vision and boom. (laughs) The same time, ding dong, they're ringing the doorbell. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, by the way. Sometimes God's gonna give you a vision, speak to your heart, and you won't see it come to fruition for a while. But here in our text It's happening just like this. His timing's perfect. His timing's perfect. In fact, look at this. Look at what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. God is always on time. He's not on our time, but he's on time. The Bible says that, that a day in God's eyes is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So when you've been waiting for two years and it feels like forever, remember that two years is like seconds to God. He sees a much bigger picture than you and I see. Trusting his time because he's never late. Trust God's timing because he is never late. What is meant to happen will happen in the right time if you walk according to God's lead. And I know that the waiting, it isn't easy, but listen to me, God will carry you through if you let him. So ultimately, again, if you're taking notes, write this down. We trust his timing because we trust him. If we believe that he is who he says he is, it's only natural to believe, believe him when he tells us to wait a little bit longer, keep the faith, keep holding on, and keep trusting God in this season. So know that. Trust God's timing, okay? Get on your knees, pray. Be willing to obey and trust his timing, then, beginning in verses 12 through 15, we, we see uh, the Spirit of God. How, how active the Holy Spirit is in leading Peter. We, so we first have the vision from God. Secondly, we have the Spirit. Look with me. Verse 12, And the Spirit told me, the Spirit told me, the Spirit told me, to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. God may not give you a vision or a trance like he did with Peter, but listen to me, God will speak through his word, by his spirit. And that's what we're gonna see in verse 16 through 18 in a little bit. But God speaks to, to Peter by the spirit. The spirit told me to go with him. Here's another principle of guidance or another principle of God when it comes to leading and guiding us. And that's this, the, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. So God's spirit will bear witness with our spirit that God is speaking to us. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Now, this is a subject that can be a bit of a challenge sometimes, can be kind of tricky, difficult, because again, sometimes we can go by our own emotions or by our own feelings or by our own thoughts. I can't tell you how many times in the church I've had people come up and say, Thus saith the Lord. One of my very first revivals that I was a part of, and, and don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit was moving. I'll never forget. This, this, this Sunday night, the Holy Spirit moved at the altar, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, everybody after work and school were coming to church just to pray, and God was doing these incredible things, and I'll never forget that as a boy. Uh, that experience is something I hold on to, but I remember somebody in that service got up from the stage, grabbed the microphone, and And said, I have a message from the Lord. And he pointed, I've shared the story, but he pointed at the front row and said, God is wanting you to go to Africa and be a missionary and marry her on your right. The problem was his wife was on his left. But I'll never forget that. Because guess what? Within that year, he divorced his wife, married that girl, went to Africa. They ended up getting a divorce too. So God's spirit will bear witness with our spirit that God is speaking to us. And and like I said, it can be tricky sometimes. But here's but but the truth is you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because of these negative experiences, because of this abuse of the Holy Spirit, and abuse of this gift, you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Holy Spirit can speak to us or make impressions on our hearts. Now we may not hear an audible voice, but God's Spirit can speak to our hearts. He can prompt or convict us or guide us and direct us. But here's what you need to learn. We'll talk about it again a little bit in verse 16 through 17, but or, or yeah, 16 through 18, this, this unwavering truth that you have to hold on to, you've got to understand this. The Holy Spirit will never contradict God's word. Okay, a good, a good mentor of mine, I remember when I was going through a season of difficulty, and, and I want to talk about it from this, and then when we get to verse 16 through 18, I'm going to hit it from a different angle. But I remember going through a difficult time in my ministry, and I was so frustrated because I was not seeing the results that I thought I would see. and And I remember... I was doing the right thing that the Bible told me to do, but people were getting hurt because of the result of it. And I was frustrated. Why isn't God changing hearts? Why isn't he doing what he's supposed to do? And a good, a good mentor of mine said, listen, Justin, the eventual outcome is not your responsibility. It's God's. Oh yeah, that sounded good. It was sticky. You know, it stuck with me. Okay, that's really good. But later on, maybe later on that week, it was, it just hit me as I was thinking about this and realized that wasn't him, that was scriptural. That was led by the Holy Spirit, but it lines up with God's word. The Holy Spirit shined his light on those six words that pastor spoke to me, and it made it clear that those were his inspired words to me personally, but they lined up with God's word, right? It was right on. You need to learn to verify the Holy Spirit's voice, okay? How do you know if the voice you're hearing is yours, someone else's, or, or the Holy Spirit's? Are you ready for some heavy-duty theology here? Are you ready? Okay, I got some heavy-duty theology. I'm confident that you can learn this because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and guides us into all truth, right? Here it is. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you've said yes to Jesus, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Now, we all hear all kinds of different voices every day proclaiming messages, and usually it's from three influences. Well, four, because you, you gotta count God's... God's influence. But sometimes it gets, God's voice gets overshadowed. The voice of the Holy Spirit gets overshadowed by these three influences. Are you ready? The devil, the world, and the flesh. Okay. Jesus told us the devil's the father of lies. So every suggestion, every single word from him will be contrary to God. Anything from his voice. It's, it's wrong, obviously, right? Even if it might feel comfortable, even if it might be inviting, even if it's convenient, if it contradicts God's word, it's wrong. Now, the world we live in is not yet subject to the king of kings. God, in his mercy, has allowed people here on earth to live in disobedience to his authority. And then from these millions of people here on earth come these voices opinions on how to live, what choices to make, and how to be happy. My kids are getting it in everything they watch and listen to right now. The world is wanting, uh, the, the father of all lies is trying to speak to my kids through all kinds of cartoons, different songs. Parents, be so careful what your kids are listening to and watching, because it is a voice. I mean, there is this theme in all of these cartoons lately, Remember the world we live in it's not yet subject to the king of kings. But I want you to know this that God's spirit longs longs to give to give us discernment as to which words are true which are partial truths and which are falsehoods. Okay? Other messages. So other messages come from the flesh. So you've got the devil and then other messages come from the flesh. The flesh is the invisibly broken soul. The law of sin, and it dwells within all of us. Romans 7, right? Every human, every single human inherited this from Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God. But I want you to know there is hope. Paul the apostle, he teaches us how to live, set free from, from always the, the, the desire to sin. In fact, he explains it. Look at this, real quick. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. All right. So again, some of you are thinking, okay. well, still, how how do I give it to me in plain vanilla? Make it really easy for me, Pastor Justin. So here's a a litmus test to give yourself when you can't decide whose voice am I hearing? And, and it's really basic. This is taken from Barbara Rainey. She's a Christian blogger, and I loved it. So here it is. is. Is your first instinct to defend yourself or prove you're right? If so, that's your flesh. It's not the Holy Spirit. Are you looking down on someone or feeling disdain for another person? If yes, that's your flesh, your sinful nature at work. The Holy Spirit's always love and wants to give you love for every person. Are you envious of what someone else has, feeling you deserve the same thing? If so, that's your flesh. The Holy Spirit never leads us or condones jealousy. Are you struggling? This is a, this is a good one. Are you struggling to apologize and admit you're wrong? That too is your flesh. The Spirit's desires for you, to, your pride to decrease and the humility of Christ to grow in its place. Powerful. Do you see the toddler version of yourself coming alive? This is, this is my favorite one. Do you, want what, do you want what you want when you want it? It's walking in the flesh, not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires sacrifice for God. That is also God-dependent, not sacrifice for self-glory. Are you ungrateful and discontent? If so, you're being led by your flesh. Listen to this. And gratitude is never... From the Holy Spirit. All right. So then there's the, there's, there's that, but also we saw in this passage, there's the confirmation from other people too, right? So if you're, it, it, you saw it in our passage today, Peter took six guys with him, six, six brothers with him. Why did Peter take six men with him? Well, I think it's because Peter actually believed that he was going to be in trouble. I do. I think Peter knew exactly what the response was going to be. And so he brought six witnesses with him. He thought, man, I better take some witnesses with me. If I'm being called to go to the house of Cornelius, this Gentile, I better take some other men with me so they can testify. Again, another principle of guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit is this. When God is guiding and leading your life, God can also use other people to confirm it in your life. That's powerful. If God is calling you and God's opening a door for you, get some wise counsel. There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. Now, you've got to be careful because everyone's going to have their opinion and everyone will have their views about what you should or shouldn't do. But if, if you seek good, wise, godly counsel, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. All right? If you're the only one, let, well, let's say it this way. I know this is going to sound... This is going to sound really mean, but it's, it's not. So just hear it, because I think it applies to our text. God's giving you a gift and a, call, a calling. I think a lot of times other people will confirm it. Okay? If you're the only one that believes that God's given you a certain gift, then perhaps God's not given you that gift. You know, I've, as a pastor, I've had people, especially when we're really just starting out in church, uh, hey, God has called me to sing. All right, sing. <sighs> I don't know if God's called you to sing, brother. Because <laughs> usually if God calls you to sing, he gives you a voice. <laughs> and in this case, I don't think God's given you a voice. Now, look, I learned this lesson early on. I'm not being mean. I told my dad I was, I was called to, to sing and perform in the plays when I was a little kid. And my dad let me know after the first one, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, he he I fought with him and argued with him. I was in like three Christmas plays and we have the videos. You talk you remember that scene from Home Alone where Kevin McAllister wrecks the whole thing, he gets mad and pushes the kid over? Three years in a row, that was my story. Okay. You guys remember the old Christmas tree that all the churches did? I destroyed that thing two years in a row by pushing a kid off. I was I was your worst PK. I was every pastor's worst nightmare. <laughs> You know what? Help me. Royal Rangers. Get your boys in Rangers. Okay. All right. God's going to confirm your gift as other people are recipients of that gift. And God's going to, he's going to be using you in that way. You get me? All right. So God can use other people to confirm your gift. Now, again, there are times where I was called to preach when I was 12 years old and nobody believed that I would ever be a preacher. All right. I had my father who who confirmed it. If God's called you, he's gonna equip you. But there are gonna be some times maybe that that others don't see it. You say, Man, I I know God's calling me to do this. I knew at twelve years old I was called to be a pastor. The problem is I couldn't public I couldn't speak publicly. So most people said, I I don't think you're called to be a pastor. I knew what God had called me to do at twelve years old. And so, again, I only had one voice of confirmation in my life at 12. That was my dad. If God called you to do it, he'll equip you to do it. But there is, there is so much wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So God uses people so many times to confirm what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Um, and, and God opens the doors. God opened the door, and three men came from Cornelius' house. Peter, Peter says that he tells them that how the Holy Spirit fell on them also. The Holy Spirit fell on them and did his work. So the door was open. God prepared the hearts. God went ahead. God spoke to him. You know, God works on both ends. God prepares Peter, and God prepared Cornelius. God was preparing the soil as well as the sower. God prepared the hearts. God opened the doors, and God sent Peter. So listen to me, if God is leading and guiding you, many times God will open the door and God will prepare the soil and the hearts of those that you are going to minister to, amen? I mean, what if, what what the Holy Spirit did in verse 15 was evidence that this indeed was the leading of God, all right? The first, so the first is the vision from God. We see that in verses five through 11. Then in verses 12 through 15, we see the spirit of God. Now in verses 16 through 18, there's the word of God. So this is what we see here. And, and, and always, you got, God will lead us consistently with his word, with his word. I want you to notice this in verse 16 through 18. Read with me here. He says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who, who was I? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. There's a vision from God, the Spirit of God, and then there's the Word of God. And let me give you some principles in God leading you, okay? You always, and I emphasize, always need to make sure that you judge your personal experience and your circumstances in light of Scripture. Okay? Okay? That, what the Scripture teaches, has to be consistent with what's going on in your life. You never want to go somewhere or do something or be involved in any experience that's contrary to the written, revealed Word of God. Hear me out, church. This means all of, our, all of our experience, and experience is not a bad thing. I told you I had an incredible experience at the altar. I love when I get experiences with the Holy Spirit. They've shaped me. They've made me who I am. I love it when the Holy Spirit shows up. But here's the principle, it's super important. It must be judged in light of scripture. Has to be. What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible say? What is what is the scriptures? Because you never wanna you never want to judge the scriptures in light of your experience. You know, I've had people say, Well, I know it's true. I know it's true. I say, How do you know it's true? Because I I saw it. I felt it. I experienced it. I heard a voice or, or I had a vision or I had I had this experience. And and what they're saying is actually unbiblical. Not all the time, but there's been many times where somebody has said, I know this is from God, and what they're telling me is so unbiblical. That can't be from God. That contradicts his word. If you still don't understand it, let me give you a really good example from history, okay? How many of you know a fellow by the name of Joseph Smith? Yeah, Joseph Smith, the Church of Latter-day Saints. The Mormons base everything that they believe on an experience that a man by the name of Joseph Smith had. An angel Moroni showed up, gave him some golden plates that contained the everlasting gospel and gave this new revelation, this new truth to him on these golden plates, which were written in Egyptian hier- hieroglyphic. And God gave him this, these special glasses so he was able to read this. And basically what he, what he learned and what he understood about Jesus was not biblical, did not line up with God's word. It's not scriptural or it's not consistent with the revelation in God's word. Wow. God's about to show up. Get ready. (laughs) That's why Paul says this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. So we've got to reject God the gospel of Joseph Smith and hold on to the gospel of Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, and of the scriptures found in the New Testament. We've got to judge our experience by the scriptures, not judge the scripture by our experience. Do you understand that? This, look at look verse 16, what, what Peter says, and I remembered the word of the Lord. Peter goes, wow, just like, just like that, a light went on in my mind. And I remembered God gave me this vision. God sent these men. They rang the door at the right time. And I went, God sent an angel to them. The Holy Spirit fell and all of this stuff happened. And then all of a sudden I remembered, this is what Jesus prophesied about. This is what Jesus said would happen. This is exactly what our Lord spoke about. Remember when, when John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 17, or verse 18. Well, I'm going to read verse verse 17 too. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter says, and I love it, verse 17, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who am I to stand in God's way? He's actually saying, you expect me to argue with God? You expect me to resist God? You expect me to fight with God? If God wants to do it, what am I supposed to do? In verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. One of my favorite verses in this chapter. Such a powerful passage because it demonstrates that the hearts of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were soft enough to be guided and corrected by God. Are your hearts soft enough today that they could be guided and corrected by God? Do you know how amazing it is when God's people allow their prejudices and and traditions to be overcome by God's word and God's work? I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, I am gonna invite the Holy Spirit into the service right now. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up the stage as I'm getting ready to close. But yes, I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit. Because I wanna close today and I wanna do it a little different. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm doing it with you today. A little, a simple exercise, it's a simple practice, but today I want to close by having us acknowledge our sinful flesh. I want to acknowledge things that we allow in our life, um, and sometimes we don't even know they exist. I want to acknowledge even racism today. Uh, whether, and, and hear me out, whether that's giving, because some of you might say, I, I'm not racist, I've never been racist, I'm not a racist person, uh, but I want to acknowledge racism today, whether that's giving your cultural preference too much weight to, maybe feeling superior because of your race, not a white thing, not a Latino thing, not an Asian thing. It's sinful. Depraved human heart thing and, and, and something that all races have in common, by the way. I've lived all over the world. I've lived in so many different countries and so many different cultures and unfortunately this thing exists everywhere. I love what John Owen says. He says, the seed of every sin is in every heart. The seed of every sin is in every heart. Look, we're all capable of this. We're all capable of doing it. We're all capable of sinning. Not, admit, not admitting this leads merely to, to, to greater blindness, but we need to acknowledge that is there a posture our that we have in ourselves in repentance about this particular topic is there is there something that that we need to give to the lord and, and let me cuz you know everywhere i've traveled i've seen it manifest itself in different ways and again <laughs> racism a lot of times stems from selfishness and i see it operating sometimes in in America, in the sense of, hey, what's mine is being taken. And all of a sudden, we start judging different cultures and different races, and we get very protective of what's ours. Even when it comes to culture, don't go change the culture of this church, Pastor Justin. Don't go. We, we're not going to change the culture. I don't like this, or I don't like that. And, and guess what, guys? It's I'm not today. I don't even want to just talk about races because it, it can be anything. Again, it could be your cultural preference. Well, I like these songs, doggone it. Bring them young people into this church. I don't like their music. I don't like their style. I don't like that. Now, I have struggled with what I've just said before. You know, your pastor's old school. Man, I love the Gaither band. <laughs> I do, I'm just gonna admit it. And I like Celine Dion, okay? Just gonna be real with you. You go look at my playlist. It's the Gaither Band and Celine Dion. <laughs> All right. It, and one of the things that I I'll, I don't understand some of the young young guys. Liz always says you're young, but you got an old man's heart. These these are pretty skinny these pants, I think. But man, some of these pants, it's like preachers today are preaching in like leotards, like yoga pants. And get up there where their Nike Air Jordans that come up here, and they 've got like these leotards on, then their shirt hangs down to their knees, and they 're wearing gold chains and i 'm going to be honest with you that it 's not my style like if I ever put on leotards i 'm really trying okay. It's not my style. But, and, and there was a particular minister that I was kind of critical of, and he was growing this big church in Seattle where I'm from, and he, he just, every week he had this weird outfit. And I told Liz, I can't even listen to him preach because I can't get beyond the outfit. He looks like a clown. I mean, man, I'm just waiting for him to ride a unicycle to the stage juggling or something. Finally, Liz said, well, what's his content? I just told you I can't get past his style. Well, maybe you need to. And I listened to one of his sermons, and I'm not lying to you. It was one of the best biblical sermons I've ever heard. That guy, every single week, preached God's word. I had to get over the leotards, <laughs> I had to get over all of it. <laughs> and he's on my, he, I listen to him weekly. He's doing an incredible work. I, the question, again, and Are we standing in God's way of diversifying his church? Because we're bringing our cultural preferences to church with us every Sunday. Maybe you are bringing racism. Man, I hope and I pray that racism does not exist in this church, but the reality is that it still exists in America very much, very much. And I would hope and I would pray that as we come to church on a Sunday, that that is not happening in our bill? I mean, I pray against it every single week, but it might, I hope to God, I pray to God that you're not bringing it here. Are, are, are we standing in God's way of diversifying his church? That's, that's the question I wanna ask you. Because I have a, I have a vision to see this church. I'm telling you guys, the church has a, an opportunity to hit a home run. Man, the world is seeking unity, but they don't know how to accomplish it. They don't get it. The only way it is going to be accomplished is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to come into this place and we've got to see the new humanity. We've got to see children of God. Do not focus on our language and our culture, our preferences. I want to see a church that is united by the love of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, and it's going to preach louder to this community than anything I could say up here. And I know it's one of the hardest things to accomplish, even in the church. It's dividing churches today. It's splitting churches. I can't find one Assemblies of God pastor that can tell me how to bring a church together. What we do is we segregate all the congregations. I am wanting you to know I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to see that. I want to see Spanish speaking, English speaking, French speaking learn to come together. And I'm not saying we don't have separate fellowships. I'm not saying we can't do that where God speaks to to us in our heart language, but we are going to come together somehow, but it has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I know I've gone way over my time. I'm going to close it. I'm going to pray. You're dismissed to go, but I'm going to invite everybody if you can, will you stay and pray this prayer with me over this church and in this community that the Holy Spirit moves so much that we stop focusing on all of our cultural things that separates us the color of skin um, whatever it is, style of music I don't care that we would fall in love with Jesus so much and the Holy Spirit will permeate and saturate our hearts and our lives so much that we just want to see God glorified through his diverse creation. And this place is filled with people from all over the world speaking different languages, but praising the same God. So I want to close with that prayer. Will you join me? Father, we love you so much. We are so thankful for your word because it leads us and guides us into your truth. And the story that we're studying today is so important. It's so easy to read right through it and miss the whole thing. That you died. You came to this earth, died on the cross and came back again so that you can bring all people together. You are doing a new thing. You're doing what the world cannot accomplish. So Holy Spirit, I invite you into our service, into our presence right now. Would you manifest yourself in a very real and tangible way as we close this surface out? Would you touch the hearts and the lives and the minds of everybody here today? And would you bring us together in one accord, with one vision, for one church so that your name would be glorified? God, that's our prayer. Fall on us, Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray that you do some miracles in the next few minutes as we we focus on just receiving from your Holy Spirit. Fall on us like you fell on the Gentiles. Change our minds and our hearts like you changed Peter's. Move in our midst and use this church to bring the message of hope and peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.